please open your Trinity Psalter hymnal or your forms and prayer book to the Heidelberg Catechism. We'll be investigating Lord's Day 1, specifically question and answer 1, and also 2. In your Bible, you can open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we'll be reading there from verses 12 to 20, and our focus and concentration will be on verses 19 and 20. So Lord's Day 1, question 1. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has delivered me from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to Him, Christ, by His Holy Spirit, also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for Him. And then if you could open up your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Again, we'll be investigating verses 19 and 20, but I'll read from 12 all the way down. First Corinthians chapter 6, starting at verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord will. For the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. And now our text. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with the price, so glorify God in your body. So far the reading of God's Word. 
dear congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, if you were to walk around Legacy Park and ask whoever would answer, what is your only comfort? I'm sure the answer out of their mouth would probably not be that I am not my own. Apart from the Christian maybe that you would encounter there, this would be the furthest thing from their mouth. The world will look to external things for their comfort, much like those antagonizers of David that tried to focus his eyes away from the refuge of the Lord to something external, as we learned about in Psalm 11 this morning. Now, this is a quote that might shed some insight into where the world gets their comfort from. It says, my drug of choice is food. I use food for the same reasons an addict uses drugs, to comfort, to soothe, and to ease stress. That quote is from Oprah. So our theme this evening as we examine Scripture is comfort is only found in Christ and never in counterfeits. And we'll look at this at three points. Point number one, you're not your own. Point two, you're bought with a price. And point three, glorify God with your body. Now the Corinthian church had a lot of problems. It was probably very difficult to be a Christian in the first century. And you can be sure that there are many difficulties that you would not encounter today. But there are some similarities. For instance, Corinth was a highly sexualized, promiscuous society. And we also find ourselves in the society that we live in trending among those same values. And not only that, but both cultures idolized worldly wisdom, those of prestigious status, athletes, they look towards fame and stature. See, here Paul is trying to wipe the minds of the Corinthians to stop them from thinking and acting like the pagans that they were because they're something else. They're now Christians. And Paul frames the question, do you not know your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? trying to remind them of the sacredness of their bodies. And the body is purposeful. It is a temple for the Holy Spirit. And Paul makes the point here as a singular reference that it's not corporately, but in each individual that the Holy Spirit makes its dwelling. That means for every believer that is has faith in Jesus Christ, the Spirit has made its home inside of you. And it's not anything that you deserve, but it's a gift that God has given to you. It's an incredible thing to think about, that the Spirit of the living God dwells and lives within you. It's hard to come up with words, to try to describe how remarkable that is. 
And if you truly believe that and think and meditate on what that means, it can shift your mind away from a pagan way of thinking into a Christian mindset. Think about it. How would that change the way you thought about sin if you were constantly reminded about how this harmed the temple of the Holy Spirit? Think it's much like your home. You do not do destructive things that will damage your home and make it uncomfortable to live in. You do not smash windows or punch holes in your roof because that does not create a cozy and fun living environment. That's the wrong kind of holy. This is not an environment that you're proud to show off to your guests or invite them over to spend the weekend. So if you want to be proud of the dwelling of the Holy Spirit lives in, you decorate it not with sin, but righteousness. But Paul is a little bolder and bluntly reminds the Corinthians that just because the Holy Spirit dwells in you does not mean that the Holy Spirit is on a month-to-month rental agreement or signed a multi-year lease. He says that you are not your own, meaning that you were bought and paid for. You are no longer the landlord of this dwelling. You now are the tenant. Paul states that the Corinthians are not their own. But for a moment, let's examine just how and what this would mean if you were your own. Some of you share a common background in the Christian faith and upbringing, but you also all have the same heart that is prone to wander, enticed by the lusts of the flesh. And this is the problem in the Corinthian church, and it still lingers in the church today. That gravity of sin that wants to pull you back into the muck and filth of sin. That its home is in the grime and the sewage of sin. Those lingering effects of sin that want to pull you from that narrow road back onto the broad way that leads to destruction. And if you remember from the Canons of Dort study in section 5, heading 8, when it talks about you preserving in the faith and your chances of falling away apart from Jesus Christ, that if you were left to yourself, it says with respect to themselves, this not only easily could happen, but also undoubtedly would happen. The canons humbly remind us that sin's gravitational pull is too strong to resist. That you will find yourself back at sin's door wanting to come home. See, if you were your own, still belonging to yourself, you would be permanently in sin's orbit. But thanks be to God that you are not your own. 
And this is the comfort that you have, that you belong to Jesus Christ. That you are no longer your own. This means that it's Christ's realm, His rule, and now you are on His route. Every part of you belongs to Him. And every part means every part. It affects every part of you, your hands and your feet. You cannot use your feet to move somewhere now sinful and harmful to your body. Nor can you use your hands to partake in sinful activities. Your hands are no longer your hands. They're Christ's hands. They serve Christ. They serve righteousness. Your eyes no longer get to gaze upon things that Jesus hates because they are his eyes. So you do not set before your eyes anything that is worthlessness. Or that you would ask Christ to turn your eyes away from looking at worthless things. And those are two different occasions from the psalmists that they understand that your eyes are not your eyes anymore. Nor is your mouth and your tongue belong to you. No longer used as a fire to slander or or curse and ridicule or belittle. But it's used to build up in encouragement and wisdom and knowledge. And not only do your body and soul belong to Jesus, but how you navigate this Christian pilgrimage is not your own, it's Christ's. From life until death, from point A to point Z, you belong to Christ. You serve Him where you work. How you conduct your business. How you interact with your coworkers. You do not have the luxury to treat them however you want. You are not your own. You serve Christ, which means loving your neighbor as you love yourself. And this extends to your marriage. Loving your spouse how Christ has commanded you, not how you feel that day. This is your daily attitude for the rest of of your life in His kingdom, in service to Him, doing what He wants, because you are not your own. How do you raise your children? Teaching them diligently the Word of God. Not when you feel like it or when it's convenient, but as He commanded you to do so. Nor do you provoke your children, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And children, you do not get to obey your parents when you feel like it or when you're done finished playing. The answer is yes, Dad. Yes, Mom. See, every aspect of your life is no longer your own. Jesus Christ governs it. Remember, His realm his rule. It's his root. 
how he leads and guides you is how you are to follow. Now this list could have been longer. And how can Christ demand so much of you? This doesn't seem fair, does it? How can Christ claim every aspect of your life? It's because you were bought with a price. And sometimes we need to be reminded what made you purchasable? Is there something in you that made you worth purchasing? Was there some kind of shelf appeal that made you more appealing to be chosen? Was it clever advertising? No, there was nothing inside of you that made you worth purchasing. You were a sinner at enmity with the one who purchased you. You hated him and wanted nothing to do with him. Your heart was cold and thorny, wanted nothing but the pleasures of your own eye. So how could Christ ask so much of you? One reason is that you did not bring anything to the table except for your sin. There was no good in you. It was only the good in Christ and His love that made you purchasable. See, Hosea understood what it meant to purchase someone who was unredeemable. If you're familiar with Hosea's story, you will remember that Hosea was a prophet in the northern kingdom years after they had been divided. Hosea was told by the Lord to marry a prostitute, to put it mildly, and he married his wife Gomer. Yet in chapter 3, Hosea is asked again to purchase his wife back from the depth of her sin, a sin that she loved. And you can imagine what it was like for Hosea. The laughter and the ridicule having to perch his wife for a second time after she ran back to the sin that she loved so much. Hosea used his funds, 15 shekels of silver, a homer and lethic of barley. And then Hosea puts conditions on Gomer, after purchasing her. There was a price to be paid, and Hosea paid it. But there were also conditions to be met for Gomer. And it's the same for you. And this is the other reason why Jesus Christ can ask so much of you. It's because it didn't cost Christ a mere 15 shekels of silver and a homer and lethic of barley to purchase you. When Christ purchased you, it wasn't his bank account that was affected, as if the cost could be recuperated with a little saving and the right investment opportunity. Nor were you purchased with a renewable resource like barley 
that just required a little bit of patience before it was fully replenished. No, it was something far greater than that. That He loved you with such a great love that He gave Himself for you. He emptied Himself of all of His riches and poured out His blood for you. He lived a perfect, obedient life, never faltering in any aspect of His will to the Father, of what the Father demanded Him. He served you. The one who knit you together in your mother's womb took on flesh and He served you. He created you and He served you. He served you despite your hatred for Him. The one that should be perpetually showered in praise and honor, was doused in slander, ridiculed death threats, and hatred for his, from his own. Yet he went to the cross to deliver you from the guilt and misery of your sin. You placed that filth on his shoulders because it never would have been there otherwise. And because of your sin, he endured the wrath of God, died as that sacrificial lamb, and then rose victorious, conquering death, your enemy. And this is why Jesus Christ can ask so much of those who are his. Because it was not a small score to be settled, but it cost Jesus Christ his life. A price that none of you could pay. A price that was impossible for you to pay. See, this is your comfort. And this comfort is only found in Jesus Christ. That you belong to Him. If you belong to Jesus, He is yours. All your sins are are forgiven. You're delivered from the tyranny of Satan. You are protected and assured of eternal life. And He makes you wholeheartedly willing and ready to live for Him. There's comfort in not being your own because Christ has done all that needs to be done for you. See, if you were your own, you would need to accomplish all of this. And you cannot. And you would not. But Christ did it for you. That question then arises, what is left for me to do? Well, at the end of the Heidelberg Catechism, says that Christ makes you wholeheartedly willing and ready to live for Him from now on. So if everything that proceeds that statement is true for you, then so too is your willingness and readiness to work now, for your, not for yourself, but for Him. Remember, you are not 
your own, that you were purchased. And if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 there, verse 20, Paul's concluding comments of chapter 6 is, is that a suggestion by Paul? Or is it a command? Is Paul saying that with everything that I've just said, it would be a good idea to glorify God in your body because that would be the most helpful for you as you journey along this Christian pilgrimage? No. It's a command. It's an imperative to glorify God in your body. The reality is that you do not have a choice. You are not your own. You are Christ because He purchased you. Therefore, now you, just as it was like for the Corinthians and for the church for the rest of time, not to think like a pagan. You think like Christ. The rules have not changed as the years have passed, nor will they change as you move forward. If you are Christ's, you glorify God in your body. Elsewhere, Paul reminds us that you are to present yourselves as instruments for righteousness. And it's, mere, it's more than a mere outward demonstration of piety, but a matter of the heart. Remember in Matthew 5, and Jesus Christ, he ups the ante. Anger and murder, lust and adultery. It's not a mere outward submission to the law, but an inward one that reflects how you think. It is thinking like a Christian, thinking like you believe that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and that sin shatters that dwelling place. Think like Christ. A heart and mind filled with anger is not thinking like Christ. It's thinking like an unbeliever. A heart filled, a heart and mind filled with lust is not thinking like Christ, it's thinking like an unbeliever. A heart filled with covetedness is not thinking like Christ, but unsatisfied with Christ and is an unbeliever. Now these are heavy and weighty things and they're hard to wrestle with. But the comfort that you have is that you are not your own. The reason that you succeed is because Christ has succeeded for you. Every obstacle has been removed. Every obstacle that would trip you up is gone. Your comfort is that you don't have to worry. All you have to worry about is living for Christ. You no longer have to worry about the guilt of sin. Christ paid for it with his precious blood. You don't have to worry about Satan because Christ protects you. You don't have to worry about the hair falling from your head because it cannot without the will of your Father in heaven. Everything you do works towards your salvation. You are his. And he is victorious in the end. 
So that means you're victorious in the end. And this is your comfort. Maybe a helpful illustration to show how the comfort or the comfort that we have that Christ has paid for all of our sins, that we have the luxury then just to live for Christ. So when I played hockey, ever since about I was bantam age, I would go outside of the dressing room before each period in the hallway and I'd prepare my mind for what was about to happen. Now imagine for a second that I'm crouched over trying to ease my mind from all the pressure of playing professional hockey. And one of the stats guy walks by, as they often did, with a stack of papers. And one of those papers happens to fall and it falls within my eye line. And I look at it. I glance at the sheet. And it reads today's date. And the final score, three nothing. Our team is victorious. What should my response be to that? What would your response be? Would that give you comfort? Would you still work hard because you knew the outcome? Or would you take a break and slack off? Would you not worry about being fully focused, not as sharp or detailed in your execution? No, it's not a big deal. You know that we win in the end. Or is your heart filled with joy? Because you get to do what you love without any stress of it. Because you know the outcome. All your anxious thoughts are removed. You do not have to worry about what might happen. The uncertainty of how everything will unfold, it's gone. You've won. You get to focus, work hard, and compete for the pure enjoyment of the game that you love. And this does not mean that you're not going to sweat, that your legs will not be filled with lactic acid and feel like cinder blocks, or that the puck will not leave a bruise. But all those negative worries, all those anxious thoughts are removed because you know that you're going to be victorious. And is this not the same in the Christian life? Do you not know the outcome of this journey? Christ is risen. All your sins are forgiven. And you are His. That means no matter how hard you labor and struggle on this journey, if you humble yourself, you receive grace. Christ has done it all. He has removed all the hurdles and obstacles so you get the pure enjoyment of just living for Christ. You have 
the pure joy of just living for Jesus Christ. Not results. Not worried about if you're going to be cut. Just living for Christ, for the pure enjoyment of living for Christ. Dear congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, if you are Christ's, your comfort is that you have nothing in this life to fear because He has accomplished it all. Your life and how you navigate is no longer based on your results, but on Christ's results. That means if you stumble and if you trip, it's not game over. You're not cast out because it all depends on Jesus Christ because you are His. So what is your response to such a comfort? Do we presume Jesus Christ's grace and shrug your shoulders because it all will work out in the end? Or do you start to think like Christ, loving the things that He loves and hating the things that He hates, remembering that you're not your own, that you were bought with a price? And which heart do you think is found in the chest of the Christian? Amen. Let us pray. O oh, righteous God and Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves thanking You that we are not our own. That we do not need to struggle and toil about being perfect because Jesus Christ was perfect for us and He has purchased us. That what is Christ's result will be ours that we live for Him now. And just as He has crossed the finish line, so will we. And thank You for this comfort that You've revealed in Your Word that we know the outcome of this race, that we do not have to worry and be anxious about doing all the right things every single time. But we have comfort that Christ has done all the right things every single time. That we need not worry. That you've removed all the obstacles from us in Jesus Christ. That we just have and get to labor for the pure enjoyment of laboring for Christ. Working for the one who has purchased us with his precious blood. Oh God, may we never forget that comfort that we receive by that perfect work of Jesus Christ. Amen. Our hymn of thanks.